0: Today's scripture reading is from 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 33-41. through 41. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 279 in our worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods, after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes, or the rules, or the law, or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them, or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes, and the rules, and the law, and the commandment that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. "'You shall not fear other gods, "'but you shall fear the Lord, your God, "'and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. "'However, they would not listen, "'but they did according to their former manner. "'So these nations feared the Lord "'and also served their carved images. "'Their children did likewise, "'and their children's children, as their fathers did.' So they do to this day. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Janice. Appreciate that. I was especially struck as I was preparing this week's message by that last verse which Janice read for you, the 41st verse. Did you hear it? It says about the nation of Israel, so these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. They wanted it both ways. They feared the Lord and also served their carved images. And then it says, their children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did, so they do to this day. What a powerful principle of life to understand. As the fathers do, so do the children. We who are fathers know how true that is. It's not an accident that my Kids grew up enjoying baseball. It's not an accident because their dad enjoys baseball. It's not an accident that I grew up enjoying baseball because baseball is a family tradition. Have any of you got that tradition in your family? A few of you? Yeah, it's just what you did. Even my daughter, uh, who didn't play baseball, uh, when she was in college at a specific university, the, 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 the school was right there in the middle, and quite often in the afternoon, she said, Daddy, guess what I did today? Oh, Daddy, that's the best word in the whole world, isn't it? yeah she 's the only person in the world who calls me that uh, yeah, and uh, although you can if you want no uh, I stopped and watched the ball game for a few uh, for twenty minutes on my way home from school you know and I loved hearing that people do what people see children do what they see their parents doing. We are always teaching, and generally we 're teaching when we least expect it. Some of you are like me, and your children are grown, and you probably shudder to think some of the things that your children may have picked up from you that you never meant to teach. Some parents have found their kids using profanity that they never thought their kids heard them say. Oh, you know, oh, they're six years old. Oh, you know, my goodness, uh, you know, or whatever it is. More importantly, our kids pick up who we are, who we are, and so on this Father's Day, I couldn't help as we're waking, making our way through the book of 2 Kings. And if this is your first time among us, we've been studying the whole Bible this year. We've called it the Daily Bread Project. And we've been taking a little bit at a time and tracking our way all the way through. We've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, and now we're in 2nd Kings. There's a lot that we've read. And we've been following this epic story, which I hope if you forget nothing, if you remember, or nothing else during the course of this series the bible is a four part play an epic story in four acts act one beautiful creation this world is not here by accident but by design it's part of the loving creation of god that story is told in act one verses chapters one and two of the book uh, of the of the book of first genesis <laughs> excuse me the first two chapters of genesis as my dad would often say my tang got all tangled up well, I was, that's a phrase. He was, my tang got tangled up. You know, the first couple chapters of Genesis tell us a story: the beautiful creation, a picture of harmony with God, harmony with creation, harmony within ourselves, harmony with one another. A beautiful setting, but Act Two came in quickly broken creation humanity was given the freedom to love god freely they chose instead to become god themselves to say that they felt god didn't know what was best for them and so they took of the fruit the one thing that had been a prohibition for them the one thing in the whole world the only thing out of nine million things they could do what was it about it was not about the fruit it was about power it was about usurping the place of god that's what it was about and so they took that fruit, and immediately their eyes were opened. They discovered that they were naked. They hid themselves. They covered themselves up. They hid from God, and they began to blame everyone else for their problems. And we've been doing that ever since. And so we have a culture which, though it has a memory of good, has been marred like a broken image. And in fact, that's who we are, the image of God, but, but broken and cloudy we sometimes get glimpses of glory heroic acts of selfless giving but often we're selfish and taking so we have the story of broken creation and in Genesis 12 the third act begins that begins the story of rescued creation where god began to reach out to us First of all, through Abraham, when he made him a promise that he'd become a father, a father, if you will, this man who had been childless, he would become a father, and he would then become the father of a great nation, and that through his family, all nations of the world would be blessed. So God's plan of rescue was to reach out to one man, and through him to bless a family, to become a nation, to therefore after bless the whole world. And so that great story began in the 12th chapter of God calling Abraham, and then ultimately God giving rescuing the people out of Egypt and and then God giving his covenant with them on Sinai and they brought them to the promised land, this long story where they were now going to be God's people in God's place under God's rule that was the plan, but it didn't go as planned, did it? Instead of being God's people in God's place under God's rule they became God's people in God's place under many different rulers, didn't they? And that's the sad saga that we've been studying in the last few weeks or so, as we've seen this great kingdom that God had established with Saul, and then David, and then uh, and then his son Solomon as king. This great land uh, kingdom there in Canaan, fractured and torn into two, and then the demise of both of these kingdoms over the course of time, as twenty successive kings serve in those uh, the southern and the northern kingdoms. And so, what we read now in the text today is the sad epitaph which the writer of Second Kings gives to us to describe his last words about the northern kingdom up there in Israel. The northern kingdom, the last things he says about them before he turns the page and starts to talk about Hezekiah who continues in the, uh, uh, in the southern kingdom, the last words about them. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. They wanted it both ways. They wanted to serve God and something else. And consequently, their children saw that. And pattern was developed that over the course of about 200 years, ultimately that kingdom went into oblivion and was never heard from again. Yes, on this Father's Day, those point, those words are a poignant reminder of two important lessons. I actually have three, but I'm trying to be nice and give you only two. But if I get really inspired, I may give you a third one for free. But anyway, here's the two. This is out of deference to my wife, right? (laughs) Who said, "Keep it short, Steve." I don't know how to keep it short, but I'll do the best I can. The two things that you see in this text in particular is, number one, the incredible foolishness of serving two masters. The incredible foolishness of serving two masters. They were trying to have it both ways, and you just cannot serve two masters. Masters, Let's, What was happening, as I already mentioned, is that this text is a final summary of the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel, which occurred near the end of the 8th century B.C., about 200 years after the kingdom had divided into two following King Solomon's death. Although the northern kingdom had been very prosperous and more prosperous than the south, it had lost its spiritual moorings. It was adrift at sea. They were materially wealthy, but spiritually impoverished there were as I said 20 kings in the northern kingdom and none of them were faithful to God finally their political alliances and their spiritual shallowness caught up with them they were conquered by the notoriously wicked Assyrians and the 10 northern tribes in Israel were lost to history and so the 17th chapter of this book is the final chapter in that sad saga And it says, even as a precursor to the verses which Janice already read, in verse 22 of the 17th chapter, they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. Yes. In my view, this was not just an incredible temptation for them, but it is also an incredible temptation for us. It's a temptation for me. We want to have God in our life, but we also want something else too just for security, just in case. And that's what the people were doing. The, the gods, of, we want to follow God, of course, but the gods of our own culture are just so seductive. Can't we have a little bit of a both? Why is God so selfish about his allegiance, right? Can't I have some of the local gods as well? That's what the people of Israel thought. And what we see in this text, and I'm just gonna touch on these things, you can reflect on them greater in greater detail. Is these people in Israel, the northern kingdom, they let their, the first thing to notice about them is they let their politics influence their faith rather than the other way around. They let their politics influence their faith rather than the other way around. You see, it had begun all the way back with their first king after Solomon. That king's name was Jeroboam. And there was a division in the kingdom. And the kingdom was in the south and the north. And the capital was in the south. The temple was in the south. The holy sites were in the south. And Jeroboam had split off away. And so he had to figure out, what am I going to do? The people are supposed to go down south three times a year at Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of the Atonement in Yom Kippur in the fall. I don't want them going down and mingling with them. They'll get back together. With them so he built a new capital up north and he wanted a new place of worship to keep the people from traveling down to Jerusalem political expediency trumped spiritual reality that never happens today does it it happens way more often than we even we the problem with this, that point is we always see it in the other guy don't we we see the other guy the opponent, the other political party, the other we don't see it ourselves. We don't see how often we allow political expediency or convictions to drive our theology. Yeah, we do it as well. Well, that's what Jeroboam had done. He wanted a new place of worship up north to keep people from traveling down south. Surely God wouldn't mind too much. You know, So he went up there, he made two calves of gold. One in the town of Dan and the other in Bethel. They had a great memory of the calves of gold. So this is a tie into their ancient Egyptian background. And he appointed his own priests and set up his own sacrificial system. What he did is he tried to use religion as a means towards his own political ends. That was the first thing that he did, and there is a lesson in that for us as well. And then also we see that what happened in that northern kingdom is that they, uh, the second thing is, they let the gods of their surrounding culture compete for pl- their first place in their hearts. They let the gods of their surrounding culture compete for first place in their hearts. The 17th chapter and the 7th uh, the, the, the verse says, earlier it says, All this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And in the 15th, or the 15th verse, in the middle of it it says, They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the ways of the nations around them and then in the 16th verse it says they abandoned the commandments of the lord their god made for themselves metal image of two calves and they made an asherah pole and worshiped at the host of heaven and served baal they were they were in love with the gods of their culture and do you have enough wisdom to see how tempting it is to become in love with the gods of our culture how tempting that is! The main gods that they struggled with were these gods: Baal and Ash. Uh, uh, it's, it's said in a different way, Asherah or Asherah. The, the the worshiping Baals in the high place, the poles of Asherah. There's lots of ways to look at these things, but fundamentally, what we see is they were worshiping the gods of power and sex. Baal was the storm god, the king god, the one in charge, right? And his consort was Asherah. She was the goddess of fertility. And these poles that are spoken about, we don't know anything about them. But a lot of people presume and assume that these were poles shaped in the image of a human, uh, of, of a woman's form. And often they would worship the goddess of fertility by engaging in temple ritual prostitution on what were called the high places. And if you've been paying attention as you read through the Bible, you you see they keep talking about these high places, these places where people would go for worship at the gods, at the temples per se, of violence or power and of sex. And it's a good thing we've gotten way beyond that today, right? We don't worship at those temples anymore, right? You guys are looking at me like you lost. Are you awake? (laughs) Let me just tell you, we do. We just don't call them Baal and Asherah. We just worship them by other names, and I'll let you fill in. The reality is the gods of their culture had begun to infiltrate their lives. And if we are not careful, and I want to say this gently and yet straightforwardly, if we are not, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me and us. If we are not careful, we will put other gods on the place of priority in our lives. We've got to be extremely careful about that. You know, we can do this. For example, we'll just take a few examples. Jesus said, for example, that we're called to, to love our enemies. Love our enemies. Why then are so many of us so eager to shoot them? Hmm. Jesus said that we cannot serve both God and money. Why then are so many of us so desperately in debt? Hmm. Jesus said that it is wrong to harbor lustful thoughts. Why is it then that so many of us think it's okay to look at naked men and women in the movies or on TV or on our computer screens? Don't tell me we don't worship the gods of violence and the gods of sexuality. We do. Jesus said that we are to forgive those who have harmed us. Why is it then that so many of us rationalize our bitterness toward those who have hurt us? Hmm. I know I ought to forgive them, but which gods will we serve? It's not easy, is it? These are hard hard things. Jesus said we are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick, welcome the stranger. Did he not? Why then are we living so far away from those people? Ouch. Or why then are so many of us unwilling to consider how Jesus' priorities should be reflected in our national policies? At least to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus said that God created us male and female and that a man should cleave unto his wife and that their marital bond should never be broken. Did he not? Why is it then that so many of us believe that a person should be able to marry anyone, even if they're the same sex as them? Hmm. Or that our God-given gender is merely a suggestion? Or that marriage is just a short-term contract to be broken at will? Jesus said that he would call a man a fool for always thinking about how he could store bigger barns for himself. Then why do so many of us spend so much time thinking about how we can store bigger barns for ourselves? Jesus said we are to bless those who curse us. Why is it then that we are so quick to be hateful towards those who do not believe like us? And we think we're right to do so because we're right and they're wrong should we not love them even when we disagree with them now that I've stepped on every one of our toes a little bit, I hope did you notice what happened to you when I re- read those things some of them were easy to say mm, yeah, and some, were, some of them were you got, I got immediate pushback did I not in your spirit I didn't I did, be honest with yourself I'm not trying to promote anything in particular. I'm just saying, shouldn't we try to really think hard and fast about what Jesus said about everything that we encounter in our lives? Yes. If we're not careful, and some would say we are reaping the rewards of that in this particular election season, we will find ourselves a culture adrift, unsure about where we are. These are hard questions, and you've noticed, of course, they cut across political and cultural lines. We might find ourselves on one side or the other, but my belief is that the gospel always forces me to ask myself hard questions. And if I've stopped asking myself hard questions, even about my own cherished positions, I have begun to fall in danger of following my ideas about God rather than God himself, of, being tra- of blessing uh, my particular points of view with whatever scripture I can therefore find to support it. Yes, I know, you came to church, you weren't expecting to get a challenge today, but hey, we're men today, right? Let's be honest with this. We are where we are because of the choices we've made personally, family, citywide, culturally. We are where we are. Let's man up and say, I want to become a follower of Jesus first and foremost. And I will call, here's what frustrates me about the way we view politics now that I'm on this subject, is we are so quick to do, de- we ought to be asking the hard questions of our own political positions and our own political leaders. We should be holding them to the fire, to saying this is the right way to, hold, to act, you see? Rather than just throwing stones at everybody else all the time, right? All right, <sighs> get off of that, all right. We might make the mistake what we want to do is to follow Jesus in every area of my life. We want to take every, as the Apostle Paul said, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. For we must not make the same mistake that Israel did, the mistake of trying to serve two masters, of following the, gods of I- the God of Israel, while also following the gods of our culture, the gods of materialism, sensualism, individualism, greed, and pragmatism. The first commandment is still true. We must have no other gods before him. And we need men, especially, who are willing to say, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be that man. Yeah. I mean I think it means that we we need to be men of courage, men who are willing to be out of step with the conventional wisdom of the day, men whose colors are clear, men who are courageous enough to ask themselves hard questions about what they think and why they think what they think and what Jesus might think about what they think, men who are willing to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Can you do that? I hope I'm still friends with all of you. So these nations it says feared the Lord and also served their carved images. We don't want to be we don't want to be doing that. Number 2 in this section, this story. The incredible influence of fathers on their children. The incredible influence of fathers on their children. You heard me read it a few times already. The children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did, so they do to this day. Now, I want to give a very important caveat. I believe it is possible for parents to do everything right and to still have our children grow up to make some very bad decisions. I believe that. I also believe it is possible for parents to do everything wrong and to still have our children to grow up to be making good decisions. Generally speaking... We take too much credit for our children's good choices and too much blame for our children's bad choices. We need to apply the gospel to our own selves as parents. But let me close with just a few simple suggestions that don't come so much from this text as they do just from my own experience as a father for some 32 years now. The first thing is this. If you want to be a better father, surrender your life to God. Surrender your life to God. Do the things I talked about in this other part. Your children, most of all, need to you be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart. The second thing that I think we need to provide for our children is a loving relationship with their mother. Now, I know some of us are divorced, and we can't help that fact. But if we are still with the mother of our children, and we, well, the honest truth is, whomever it is that we are with and married to at this point, are, we need to love that person. The greatest gifts you can give to your child children are to be a man who loves God supremely and who loves his wife, first of all. We are not to have children-centered marriages, The children are part of a family-centered marriage where the mom and the dad love one another, and the children fit within that. Children do not thrive when they're made kings of their own household, okay? Number three, provide your child some things. Number one, unconditional love, no matter what, and also loving limits. Our children need to know we love them enough to place the limits on them and consequences to those limits. And then the scripture tells us that we are to provide faithful instruction to our children too. We're to teach them about God. We're not to pound that off just on someone else. And then here's an important thing I say, a couple quick thoughts as we close. We need to love our grown children no matter what. Some of us are living with pain of broken relationships with our children. We cannot help that. But we can always love our children. We can always accept them. We can always welcome them. We can always pray for them. We can always tell them as best we can in ways we know how, how much we love them. Love them no matter what choices they make. And I would say this, dads, never stop being a dad to your kid. Never stop you know, my dad died just three years ago, and, you know, I, I still wanted him to be my dad at 50 years old. I wanted that. I didn't want him to run my life, but I wanted him to be in my life. I wanted, he was always my dad to me, and your children, are all, you're always dad to them. And then here's the other thing. When you look and you've seen make choices that are really bad in the past that you see have hurt your children, Live in the grace of God's forgiveness. God forgives. God's will for your life is always present tense. It's always right now. Whatever you did yesterday doesn't change what has to be true today. Yeah, accept God's forgiveness and don't live with the Of feeling like I blew it long ago, and therefore I've ruined my relationship with my kids, and that's it. And be grateful. I guess lastly for grace, because if you think about it, that great king of that great king that followed David, his name was Solomon, and who was his father, David, and who was his mother, Bathsheba. How did she get in the family? because of some really, really awful choices that David made. Remember that story? And if you want a mind-bender, you ask yourself the question, was it God's will for David to marry Bathsheba? Because he did a wrong thing by having a relationship with her, by having her husband killed. And yet, had he not done that wrong thing, he would never have had Solomon as his king, as his son because it was her second child. God has a beautiful way of even taking the debris of our lives, the wreckage of the bad choices that we have made, and bringing grace in the midst of it. You know, if you try to preach a Father's Day message out of the Bible, you have a very hard time doing it, because there's really no good examples. There are no good fathers in the Bible. You can't hardly find one. That's the truth. (laughs) And the interesting irony is that the one story Jesus told about fathers was about a father who failed his son, right? The prodigal son. And the son grows up, and he wants to go off. Even the heavenly father had a wayward son, and yet he extended grace to him. So be thankful and celebrate God's grace. That father let the son go, gave him the resources to destroy his life, And welcomed him back, my son has returned. So be grateful that God welcomed him back, that God welcomes you back, and be the kind of person who welcomes everyone back, especially your children. Let's have prayer as we close our time together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this poignant reminder that as men and women, there are many competing idols. And it's possible for us to be blinded by our other allegiances. Help us to take every thought captive to you. Some of us here today need to bask in your forgiving grace for failures we've made personally or family or as parents. Thank you for that forgiveness. May we, like that wayward child in the prodigal son's story of Jesus, come back to you and say, thank you for your grace. Help us to be grateful to be welcomed into your family. Teach us what it means to be a man especially, of courage, who follow after Jesus, who are willing to ask ourselves the hard questions, who are willing to be the dads that you want for us to be. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.